right. Well, good morning. If you're watching online, you're missing all the fun. You have no idea what's happened here this morning, right? So, okay. If you want to turn with me, we are going to start off this morning clear back in the beginning, back in Genesis 1. Um, last week, we started a, a series about bread. And again, it's not the 1970s music group bread or anything you're thinking of, but it's it's about bread, but not exactly about bread. It's more about what Jesus did with bread, right? He did three things with bread. Remember what they were? He blessed it, he broke it, and then he gave it. And uh, bread in many ways is kind of a metaphor for our lives, isn't it? Our lives in Christ that, um, for the most part, bread is common. It's in every culture in different forms, but it's just a common thing. It's it's kind of a, a menial thing that, you know, people, if, if, if you have nothing else to eat, well, you've got bread and water, right? Um, bread is sometimes cracked and broken, like some of us, and uh, like some others, it's even a little dry and stale once in a while, right? We won't say who that is, but, uh, you know, we'll just kind of go with that. So our lives are like bread. But in the hands of Jesus, that bread changes. We looked last week at where Jesus took the bread, the, the story of the, the boy that had five loaves of bread and just two fish, and, and Jesus fed thousands. That were, where many saw a desolate, dry place, and the disciples were saying, the needs are overwhelming, Lord, and we can't do this. Send the people away to get something to eat. They're famished, they're, 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 they're worn out, they're tired. The disciples saw those needs as overwhelming. But Jesus called the disciples and said, you feed them, right? And then Jesus did the miracle where he took those five loaves and he broke them and he had the people sit down and he welcomed them and he fed them. And when it was all done, there were 12 baskets left over. And we looked at that to realize that that's what Jesus does with our lives. When we just trust in him and get our focus back on him, that like the disciples, when we get our eyes off of the overwhelming needs in our lives and the overwhelming needs all around us, we turn our eyes to Christ, the provider, that we realize that in Jesus, what we have now is enough. Because he is the one who multiplies and makes the needs be met. And I don't know about you, but for me last week, it was a challenging message that, you know, we don't need more. We don't need other stuff because what we have is enough. And even though the needs are overwhelming around us, in Christ, when we trust in him, he can provide the miracle through us. So again, we're gonna look at over the next couple of weeks, the issue of what Jesus did with the ordinary bread, that he, he blessed it, which is good, but then he broke it, and then he gave it. And I love the story we looked at last week because he didn't let the disciples off the hook, right? When he got the bread, he called the disciples back, these guys that said, Lord, send them away. He called them back and he said, you guys feed them. He did the miracle of breaking the bread and handing it out to them, but they had to go and feed the people and then gather the bread left over. So this morning we're gonna look at the issue of being blessed. What does it mean to be blessed by God? Well, let's take a little rabbit trail and let's pretend that an alien from out of space, if aliens really existed, came to our world to find out what we deem as being blessed and what it meant and uh, simply looked at our media and what would be blessed. What do you think he would determine blessed would be, right? You know, well, first we'd start off, it wouldn't just be blessed, it'd be like hashtag blessed, right? So hashtag blessed, and if we were blessed by what the media says, I mean, we would have perfectly made lattes from Starbucks, right? We'd have awesome kitchen models, houses that never break down, immaculate, fancy sports cars, um, Instagrammable vacations that you see that are just perfect, where nothing ever goes wrong, no mosquitoes, no bugs, no nothing, just perfect weather, beautiful, handsome spouses, a bank full of cash, a work that is just perfect, where they love us and can't do without us, and it's just so easy. That's kind of what the world sees as blessed, isn't it? Hashtag blessed, woohoo, life is good, just got that bonus, right? But biblically, that's about as far from being blessed as we can be. Yes, those are gifts of God, and they're all great and wonderful, but even if we don't have those things, the Bible says that we're what? We're still blessed. We can have and live in the most issues of poverty or lack of nothing. We can be in prison 
we can be destitute, but biblically we can still be blessed. We have to get our focus off of thinking that to be blessed is to have much. As Christy said in her prayer, to almost be gluttonous about what we have and what we take in and what's in our bank account and how people think of us. To be blessed biblically is different. And I think to, to realize what it means to be blessed in Christ, irrelevant of our situation, because the Apostle Paul, once God got a hold of him and changed his life and made him into the great evangelist, the Apostle Paul made those that statements that sometimes makes our skin just ooh hurt because he said, I have learned to be what? Content, Content in what situations? Every. In every situation. Whether I am full or I am hungry, whether I am hot or cold, whether I am sick or healthy. The Apostle Paul had it right with God as he says, Contentment in God is not about our circumstance, our situation. It's about having our heart encompassed in God and knowing who we are and where our future is and our ministry. It's not about those circumstantial things that are all around us that so quickly change or, as the Bible says, rust and moths partake of and they slowly fade away. It's about being secured in Christ. So we go back to the beginning, back to Genesis, because we realize that to have a blessed life in Christ is more than health and provision and beauty, which are, of course, gifts of God, but they're like hints and shadows of the real blessings of God. So go with me to Genesis 1 as we reframe how we think about what it is to be blessed back in Genesis, back to the beginning where God created it all. Genesis 1, starting in verse 1. In the beginning, aren't those awesome words to go back to the beginning? In the beginning, God did what? God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, and all he did was speak. He said, let there be light. And what? There was light. And God saw the light and it was what? It was good. Jump down to verse 10. God called the dry land earth and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was what? It was good. Then God said, he spoke once again, he said, let the earth sprout forth vegetation and plants yielding seeds and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit and their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw it and it was what? It was good. Verse 16. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. And he placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw it and it was what? It was good. Verse 20. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living things and creatures, and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was what? It was good. And then God did what? He blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Genesis 1:25. And God made the beast of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind. And God saw that it was what? It was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth 
and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In an image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. In verse 28, and God did what? And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and every living thing that moves on the earth. And we'll stop there. Over and over we read two things in that Genesis, that origin story. And it's one, that God made the things, and it was what? They were good. They were good because God created them. And then, once God created them, what did he do? He blessed them from the very beginning. You see, our origin story is also rooted in the origin story of the whole cosmos, that God established blessings from the very beginning, from the very foundation of the world. In those first seven days that he was creating, God blessed the world. He brought in blessings from the very beginning from the origin, from the point of creation. And I think if we want to understand what it is to be blessed, we have to go back and look at this story where there is creating, there is order, there is good, there is blessing. You see, the Bible tells us the story of our origin, the beginning, and it begins with one person. In the beginning, God. It all begins with God. And God created it, and God made it good, and God blessed it. We take this for granted as we look back at it when the story of Genesis was written, but I want you to go back to the time it was written in the place where these people at this time lived. Because it was similar to our time, but it was also different. You see, they didn't have the advantage of the 66 books of the Bible, the Old Testament and the whole New Testament, to look back on and see all this and understand it. They were in the history as it was moving forward and being written. And in that ancient world, the very book of Genesis was radical. Because you see, back in that day, the people lived in a world that saw things different than the God of Genesis, didn't they? They didn't just see one God, a monotheistic God. They saw what? Polytheistic gods. They had gods for the ocean, for the water. They had gods for the land. They had gods for the mountain, gods for the clouds, gods for love, gods, gods for food, gods for enemies. They had all these gods. And the Bible says, in the beginning there was... God. One God. So from the very beginning, as we talk about Christians being different in our origin story, as Genesis pops on the scene and God proclaims that there is only one God in that society, that was different. Because all the cultures of Babylon, of Rome, of Greece, of Asia, had many gods, gods for everything. And their version of the origin story was different than God's version of the origin story. It was about being blessed. It wasn't about being good. When you go back and we watch our movies about, uh, you know, the Greek gods or these other gods or all the gods of the Babylonians, the world kind of came about as a circumstance happening of chaos and mystery and the gods are in their realm, the many gods, and they're, they're fighting and they're bickering and they're, they're vying for power. And when man comes in a scene, it's more about being slaves of the gods, isn't it? It's not about having freedom or, or, or being blessed by God. It's about being used by gods for their benefit, for their glory. And the gods would have them have wars against each other. And if the gods were angry, they would hurt them with lack of rain and, and, and turbulence, and if the gods were happy and things were going good, well, they might shower them with blessings. But it was much different than the story of Genesis. You see, they didn't ask the question of, did God make this and how did God make this? 
they would ask the question of which God made this and why did the gods make this? I mean, the gods are vying for power and who gets to be in charge, remember? The story of even the Roman gods that Zeus was the big god and all the other gods were under him, right? But they were always bickering back and forth and, and fighting. Even Icarus had the wings that he flew, flew too close to the sun and they melted and we have the gods of love and war and it was different than Genesis. You see, those gods didn't say that what was created was good. And those gods didn't bless. And those gods were many. And in Genesis, there is one God who creates just by speaking. And God says it's good and puts a stamp of approval on it. And rather than using the people as little minions to do their will, God blesses the people and unfolds the whole creation for it and says, I have created all this for you, and I have created you to be in relationship with me. Not to be used by me, but to be in relationship to me. And because of that, and because I love you, I bless you. And as we search through the 66 books of the Bible, we realize that God blesses us unconditionally, like he saves us, right? Like God's grace is upon us, and we are completely undeserving even now right we are undeserving of god's goodness whereas the new testament says that god came to save us and to bring us back to that right relationship and to fix what was broken and wrong and to give us salvation while we were still yet sinners and enemies of god you see genesis story with the blessings that god has upon us is different than the world back then and even now. And I think there's three things in this Genesis chapter that speak to us in being blessed by God and realizing that having stuff is not blessed, but having the relationship and God's creation upon us, his finger, his very fingerprints all over our being, and then calling us good as made in his image and then saying, now that you are good, I bless you. And that blessing comes in our relationship with the God of miracles, the God of creation, the God of everything, the one true God. So if you're taking notes, the first thing is that there is only one God, as we've talked about. The God reveals the God called Yahweh, the sovereign God, the only God, not the God of sticks, and clay and wood and, and metal, but the God who creates, the God who hears and responds, the God who acts and does. Not the God that sits on the counter or in the temple that we bring gifts to and never does anything. It doesn't get up and move around. It sometimes falls over or tilts, but it doesn't do anything. It's just there. That the blessing that we have is that God in his jurisdiction and creation, made us and blessed us and said, go and be fruitful and multiply. God called you and I to be fruitful and to multiply in all that we do. We know in the New Testament that the word of God tells us that we can do how many things in Christ and God? All things. Just like those disciples who came to Jesus and they're like, Jesus, the needs are overwhelming. It's too much even for all of us, even with you. We're in a dry and desolate place, Lord, and the, the, the needs of the people are many. God, you've got to send them away to get help. And God says, no, you meet their needs. You take care of them. That's why I created you to bless them as you have been blessed with much. The problem is us, like the disciples, don't see that we have much, do we? We get our mind on the circumstances and the surroundings and how we look or don't look and what we have or don't have and what we want and think we need. We think that's blessed. And we read in Genesis with the one God that we are already blessed because of our relationship with him and in him and our creation by him as God has literally breathed the breath of life into who? into us, into us. 
Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And we serve the one true God, the monotheistic God, not the polytheistic God. And we realize that God not only exists and created us, but God acts. And there are no rivals with God. Let me ask you this as we're talking about being blessed by God. We've talked about all that God has created, the heavens and the earth and the expanses, as we have the Hubble telescopes and other telescopes go out, we realize that beyond what we can see in our Milky Way galaxy, that there are more galaxies and more galaxies. And as these, these eyes of our world go out further and further into the galaxies, what do they discover? Well, there's still more. And there's more. And there's more. And we realize the minuteness of our lives with this one God. Because the further we go out, the further we see with those eyes of the Hubble telescope and other things, there's always more out there. It seems unending to us. And yet, when we put that in perspective with you and me, on our tiny little one little marble planet Earth, in our tiny little nation of the United States of America, in our tiny little area of Utah, in our tiny little house compared to that, and then we realize that when we pray, God what? Hears us. Not only does he hear us, he does what? He responds to our prayers. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, the only way I can think about this is going out in my backyard and finding a massive colony of 6,000 ants and talking to each one of them. can't fathom it. But I can fathom the fact that there is one God that took you and I while we were yet in our mother's womb and created us and breathed into us this life and called us good in his image and blessed us in relationship with him. And although in light of all the expanse of all that he's created, as the old hymn says, he walks with us and he talks with us. In fact, Jesus himself that came to our world as God while we were still in sin said, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to come and believe and follow me. And it's a blessing. Number two, the sole sovereign, the one only, the monotheistic God creates the world on purpose and with a purpose. And we talk about the societies of the time, Babylon and Asia and Greek and, and Rome, their gods didn't create on purpose with a purpose. They're still vying over who wins and who has the most and who can use the humans in the best way for their advantage. And there's a battle among the gods. But Genesis tells us what, uh, something different, that God, when he created, he created everything on purpose and for purpose. He does all this creation leading through the first chapter of Genesis, and then he creates man and woman in his likeness. And he says they're good, and he blesses them, and he says, Now go and rule over all this, and be fruitful and multiply. And actually, if you go back in your good theology class, and you read Genesis 1 and 2, it's not just a purpose story, it's actually written in a poetic nature. It's almost a song, when you understand the language that it was meant. There is an order to what God is doing. He just didn't say, oh, let's just take some dirt today and make something, huh? Right? Well, you and I are in our mother's womb as God created us, as, he, as, the, as the Bible says, as he's putting his fingerprints upon us as we are the clay and he is the potter and he's molding us. Don't we believe as Christians that the Bible says that he makes us each unique and special? That we would not be common like everyone and everything else, that we would have specific uniquenesses to us. And as we come to him in salvation, he blesses us with gifts. Gifts so that we all work together, that your gifts are different than my gifts. We may have some similarities, but yours are mine. But as we come together in the need for one another, we work together, we are complete in Christ. And that he also gives us a purpose. Many people in life walk around life, and you have this in elementary school, and junior high and high school, and even college, 
It's like, well, what are you going to be when you grow up? What's your purpose in life? Don't people still ask that as adults? It's like, well, I'm doing all this stuff because I'm trying to find out who I am and what my purpose in life is. And God tells us our purpose is to be in relationship with him and to glorify him, to share the gospel, to, to live in his image, to realize our blessedness and to be content to rejoice always. We know what our purpose is in Christ. We're not just here today, gone tomorrow, but we're here for a reason in a specific time and place, in a specific city, in a specific area, in relationship with specific people that God can minister through us and in us. You see, in God's eyes, the one true God, you and I matter. Isn't that amazing? We matter to God, to the point that he would send his only son to pay the price of our sin to bring us back in relationship with him. You and I matter to God. And thirdly, as we get to it, God blesses what he makes. He creates us, calls us good, and then he blesses us. And good in the Bible has many different meanings. We translate it in English as good because our language is not as colorful as, as some of the ancient languages where they have specific meanings. But good can often mean beautiful in the Genesis story. It's like God creates it, and then after he has his creation, he's saying, this is beautiful. This is beautiful, and he blesses it. Now imagine the people of Babylon who are not feeling very hashtag blessed because they're struggling in an agrarian society just to get by. They're laboring day in and day out just to, to, to make ends meet. They're, they're traveling in their, their little animal skin tents and trying to raise children and just eat by. And they're not feeling very hashtag blessed. But then they come to this realization of God's beauty. And God tells us in his word that you can see the handiwork of God where? In creation in the uniqueness and the beauty and the, the, the specificness of how God creates everything and calls it good or calls it beautiful. I mean, everything from the giraffe to the hippopotamus, from the ant to the mosquito, from Kino to Ellen. They were all unique and all different. But God, in essence, says they were all beautiful. And those people back there in Babylon, when they realize this about God, that God's creation is all around them, realize it's beautiful. I think of David, little David, when he's out there in the field tending the sheep and killing lions and bears, he had a lot of time to think out in the pasture, didn't he? But the Bible tells us that David had a harp and he would play music for God and write psalms and songs for God. Somewhere David saw the beauty of God and all the nature that surrounded him. That it wasn't a wasteland. It wasn't just a desolate area where you try and find green grass for the sheep and still water. But that it was beautiful and it compelled him to make music, to sing psalms and songs unto the Lord. You see, in being blessed, that's where you and I need to get, isn't it? to see the beauty of God's creation all around us, and to realize that God said, I made this and it's beautiful just as you are. Well, let me ask a question here. Do you see yourself as beautiful? Handsome? Because in today's society, most people don't. Most people struggle either with anxiety or depression and finding a purpose in, in life. And... They run around trying to fill their lives with things and people and events to be fulfilled only to find themselves more hungry and wanting and feeling less beautiful. Do you see yourself as beautiful? Because beauty is not a state of being. Beauty is a relationship 
You see, God saw you and I as beautiful as he created us. God saw you and I as beautiful when we were still in sin and enemies against him. God still saw us as beautiful. He saw us for who we would become and who we were in his creation, not in the circumstance of what we are. You see, the story of being blessed and being beautiful is our relationship with God and why he's created us and for what purpose and who we are. It's back in Genesis in the origin story where you and I began, where God called light into the darkness and in salvation. He called us out of the darkness and where? Into the light. And God blessed us and said, you are good, you are blessed. This morning, whether you're listening online or you're here in person, I hope you realize that as God has created you, irrelevant of how you see yourself, God sees you as beautiful, a masterpiece. It's a joy for God to be with you and to see you and to walk with you and talk with you and listen to you. It's a joy for God to go through your life, the good and the bad, it's a joy for God to do that because he knows who you are and in him you are beautiful. As we've said so many times, God does not make junk. God has no salvage yard, no junkyard in heaven where he throws the misfits off like in the, the old misfit island story about the Christmas things that are broken and nobody loves them. You and I are blessed because God created us. God called us good or beautiful and God loves us. God desires to be with us. Isn't that truly a blessing of meaning? I want you to catch the vision of who you are in the eyes of God today, that you are beautiful. You're already wonderful. You're a masterpiece, and you have such a tremendous place in this world and a tremendous ministry. God is delighted to be with you. And that makes life worth living, doesn't it? That changes the view of how we see ourselves and it changes the view of how we see others. That we are already blessed because of the, because of God who has blessed us in relationship with him. Well, maybe you're still struggling with not feeling so beautiful and so blessed. So let me tell you a story back in Genesis a couple chapters later where in Genesis 12, God calls... Abram to become Abraham and God blesses him and says your descendants will be what as the sands of the sea and as the stars of the heavens and again as we see through the eye this worldly eye of the Hubble telescope what we can see in the Milky Way is not it there's more and there's more and there's more right we see that in Genesis 12 but then we turn to Genesis 16 and there's an interruption in the blessing story of Abraham. You see, there's this female Egyptian slave on the run that is going out to die because she sees no purpose in life. She sees that her life is hard. It's, it's a struggle. She's unwanted. She's unloved. Life isn't fair. And the only thing that she can see to take care of that life is to run out into the wilderness to drink her last drink of water, and to wait to die. Did you ever feel that way? Where you just feel like life is in the dumps, you're in the salvage yard of the world, and you're not loved, and you're broken, and there's no purpose, and you just feel desolate and ugly. You feel that way sometimes? When we get our eyes up with God and that relationship with him, well, that's where Hagar felt. She's a female Egyptian slave. And you got to realize that being a female Egyptian slave with God's people, nothing defined her more as an outsider. Because in her day, she would be considered the opposite of blessed in so many ways. To be female in the ancient world was to be regarded only as, as valuable insofar as your usefulness to your husband or your master. That's your only value was your usefulness to them or to pop out kids. That's it. 
It's all you're, you're useful for as a female. Not only that, her offspring as a slave would be slaves. So even the children that she did have would be condemned to a life of destitute and labor. Second, she was an Egyptian living with the Israelites. That meant she was an enemy, right? And as a slave, she owned nothing. She had no say in the world. Her opinion didn't matter, didn't count. No belongings. She had no freedom and no future. Her entire life was simply to serve no matter what. No matter how she felt, just to serve. No rights, no inheritance, no destiny, only to live, to serve, and then to die. To those hearing the story of Genesis 16, Hagar was ancillary to the story. She was almost forgotten because in their eyes of that time, she would be so insignificant why would you even bother remembering her name? Because she was a female, she was a slave, and oh my gosh, amongst God's people, she was an Egyptian. You see the story? She has nothing really going for her, does she? Nothing to live for, nothing to be happy about, nothing to be joyful about. Hagar is on the run to end her life because her life is so lousy because of Sarai, the wife of Abraham. Now remember I said in Genesis 12, Abraham, he went from Abram to Abraham and God blessed him. And now in Genesis 16, we see Sarai, or Sarah, as some call her. And Sarah's not a happy woman. She is with this man who has been blessed by God. They have descendants as numerous as the stars. Well, you think that would be pretty cool, right? Hey, I'm with the blessed man, the man blessed by God himself. Woohoo, I should be happy, right? No, Sarah's an unhappy camper. One, she's like, yeah, God blessed my husband and said, we're going to have lots of kids and I am barren. And it's been not only years now, it's been decades. I don't think God is sincere. I think God's just having a bad joke on life. And so Sarah makes this thing where she gives her slave, Hagar, to Abraham and says, well, have and bear children through my slave. And Hagar, Hagar is fertile, fertile myrtle. She's the first fertile myrtle on the scene, right? She starts having kids. And rather than Sarah being excited because now there's children, well, now she's really angry. She's jealous. She's envious. Not only is she with the man that God has blessed, which she should be happy about. Not only are there now descendants to see God's promise through her slave, but now she's just downright bitter. And she treats Hagar horribly. She's mean to her, she's rude to her. She's kind of like the kick the dog while they're down syndrome. This woman has everything to be joyful over, but she's just a bitter old lady pretty sad really right when you look at this whole story she is so harsh with Hagar and Hagar's children who Hagar is now present or pregnant with Ishmael that Hagar leaves in a last-ditch effort to go out to the desert to die just to end it all because life is so bad you've never felt that way have you You've never been in Sarah's sandals or Hagar's sandals, have you? Or although you're in the midst of blessings, you're just a bitter person, negative, critical. You've never been in Hagar's sandals where you treated so lousy, justifiably treated lousy, that you just want life to be done. You ever been there? I think we all have, and that's why the story is so impactful for God blessing us and realizing who we are in Jesus Christ and what we have that is such a blessing. You see, Hagar thought it was over and she was sure no one could help, not even Abraham, the man blessed by God and Sarah's husband. So Hagar just takes matters into her own rescue and goes out to die. And there's two words that impact this story so much. And here's the words, 
but God. Because God intervenes in Hagar's life when Hagar is down the dumps the most. It says that God found Hagar by a well in the wilderness. And I think that's kind of funny that oh, God found Hagar, right? Like she was lost. God knew where she was the whole time. But for us, God found Hagar, and the angel of the Lord calls her by name, which tells us something, doesn't it? For God to find her where she is in her most desperate place in life, and to call her by name meant what? God knew Hagar, probably better than she knew herself, right? In Genesis 16, verses 7 to 8a, it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water, in the wilderness. And that wilderness is important because sometimes when we're really destitute and down and depressed, we think that life is a wilderness, isn't it? Something out of our control and desolate. So the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness and by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? Two amazing questions. I want you to hear God asking you those questions. Where have you come from and where are you going? Now, God's not asking these questions to launch an interrogation. I want you to know that. God doesn't have you sit in the police room and he's not interrogating you. God is staging an intervention to rewrite the story, to change things from where Hagar sees things to where they really are in God's perspective. And when God says, where have you come from? And then God asks you, where are you going? He's not interrogating you. He's not being mean to you. He's saying, we're going to change how you see life. We're going to rewrite your story because I want you to see who you are, my purpose for you, and life and how I've blessed you through my eyes. That's the difference. It was an origin story and it was a destiny story. Remember we started in Genesis with the origin story? But we end with a destiny story of having purpose and meaning. God wants to rewrite her story and have her go back to where? Back to Abraham's house? With who? With Sarai, the bitter old woman. Well, that doesn't seem like fun, right? But Hagar is going to go back with a new sense of purpose, a new sense of being, a new reality of who she is, and a new reality that God knows her by name and speaks to her. Man, that changes things, right? Even the Apostle Paul, who's persecuting Christians because he thinks that's the religious right thing to do when God speaks to him and says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul gets a new glimpse of who God is. He's blinded for three days. Then God sends him to one of those Christians to be able to see again. Suddenly, Paul's life is so changed with a new sense of who he is and purpose that God changes his name from Saul to Paul. And Paul now goes out preaching the gospel instead of trying to kill it. Same world, same background, same circumstance, same cities. But now with a sense of purpose and a reality of who he is. A reality of his origin and his destiny. And this is where you and I need to be to be blessed. Yes? This is where we need to be. Genesis 16.10 says, Moreover, the angel of the Lord said to Hagar, Catch this. I will greatly multiply your descendants so that they will be too many to count. Huh. You know what? That's Abraham's blessing. Genesis 12, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, where your descendants will be as the sands of the sea of the stars of the heaven. And the angel says here in Genesis 16, 10 to Hagar, I will greatly multiply your descendants so that there will be too many to count. Now we can miss this in our society, but you got to remember who Hagar is. She's a female in this society, which had no value. She's a slave and she's what? Egyptian. Three strikes against her. And God calls her by name. God meets her where she's at. God says, Hagar, I want you to go back with a new origin and a new destiny of who you are and how you're blessed. I want you to go back to that bad place and I want you to minister because I'm going to give Abraham's 
you see the blessedness of what God is doing in Hagar's life? It's overwhelming. She is getting God's blessing, Abraham's blessing, through her. Genesis 6.13 says that when Hagar realized this, she was so overwhelmed that she responded by renaming God as the God who sees me. Genesis 16.13 states this, So when she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are El Roy, translated means God sees me. Hagar then said, In this place have I actually seen the one who sees me. In your place, have you actually seen and met the one who sees you, who knows you by name, who meets you when you're in your most desolate place, who says, I have a purpose for you, I am blessing you, you are beautiful, you go back to that ugly world and you minister for me because I have a purpose for you. You are God, Elroy. You are the God who sees me. And that's such a personal, intimate thing, isn't it? The picture of marriage is to have such intimacy that you know each other in ways that nobody else knows you or can know you. When Hagar says, you are the God who sees me, it's like the woman at the well when Jesus speaks to her and she runs into the village saying, I just met the man who knows my whole life. He knows everything about me and he had just met me at a well. Funny, he met the woman at the well just like he met Hagar at a spring of water. There's living water there all the time. Sometimes we don't drink of it, do we? Until we realize that God sees us. And because God sees us, beautiful and we're blessed and we can go back into that bad situation but now with a new mindset we go back into that workplace back into that family back into that home back into that place whatever it is back into that physical hindrance with renewed joy because now we know our origin in God and we know our destiny that God is blessing through us it's no longer the same now circumstantially yeah it's the same it's not fair it's not fun but now we go back with a purpose. Now we realize that no matter what happens or how we're treated, what way things are going, we are already hashtag blessed. We already got it. We never lost it. We've always had it. It's always been there. We just had to see the God who sees us and to realize how blessed we are. And we go back with new sense of purpose and destiny. We go back as salt and light to the world. We go back to the upward call of Jesus Christ for the glory of God, that our life is to glorify him now and to be that difference. I think it's such a funny story where here's Abraham who's blessed by God. Here's Sarai who doesn't see it and is just bitter and angry and critical. And in comes Hagar, now also blessed by God. What a weird situation, right? But Abraham's blessed by God. Sarah's still bitter until later on down the road. But here comes Hagar trotting back. Just like the slave Philemon. Came to salvation in Christ from Paul being in prison. And Paul says, you gotta go back. But now Philemon goes back saying, hey, it doesn't matter. Whatever happens, whether he beats me, whether he tortures me, whether he blesses me, whatever happens, it's okay because I'm in Christ. That changes everything. I'm already blessed. He can't do anything to me to take that blessing from me. Life is good. Eternity is better. You have that sense of being? That maybe God's saying, you got to go back. You got to get back in the fight. You got to get back in the battle. Oh, it's ugly, bloody, dirty, hard, and painful. We have that spiritual gift of moaning and groaning, right? go back and say, and it doesn't matter what happens to me, because I am with God and have God's blessing, and I have a purpose, and it's okay. It's okay. <clears throat> to be blessed is to be returned to our origin and destiny story. 
not simply to be restored, but to have our story restoried and realize who we are in Christ. When Jesus took some bread, he didn't make it into something else, did he? He took it and he blessed it. And then he broke it and then he gave it. You see, material things aren't always the opposite of, of sacred things because when you and I come to salvation, although we are spiritually transformed, we are physically still the same, aren't we? But God uses us to bless. The God who called light out of darkness and called you and I out of darkness into light, the God who called Abraham out of his father's house and blessed him, the God who met Hagar in the wilderness and called her by name, blessed her this God is calling you today and blessing you he's rewriting your story as we sit here wanting you to remember your real origin and your real destiny in him to realize you are good you are beautiful and you are blessed because you are in the hands of Christ today and that makes all the difference amen let's pray Father in heaven, we thank you that although so often we see ourselves as ordinary, plain, stale, broken, that in you there is change, and not just change, but life change, eternity change, spiritual change. Lord, help us to realize that we are not in a desolate place. We are not destitute. We are not worthless because we are in your hands and we are in the place of abundance, the place of restoration, in the springs of living water with purpose. And in your hands, we are beautiful and useful. So we go back to those places that we've come from, Lord, with a new sense of purpose and a new sense of destiny because of you. We thank you that although we are unworthy, You've blessed us anyway, in Jesus' name.